continue from the portion which we are studying in the last class where we find that Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that if one is sincere in spiritual life, if he is sincere for his love of God then even though the external circumstances which are not favorable gradually turns out to be favorable so in his words but if a man who has sincere love for God, then all come under his control. The king, wicked persons and his wife, sincere love of God on the husband's part may eventually help the wife to lead a spiritual life. If the husband is good, then through the grace of God, the wife may also follow his example. So as we were indicating that in the uh, nature of the universe, the plan of the nature is such that whatever we desire intensely, the nature will conspire to fulfill our intense, des intense desire. It will conspire to create that, to make the circumstances favorable so that my, all the so-called the desires are fulfilled. It's not only in spiritual life, in our day-to-day -day life. What we intensely desire, according to that, the nature, the nature will be conspiring to make the favorable circumstances and fulfill your desire. You may say it doesn't happen. As in the last class we were saying, that though we may be professing that I want this, I want that, but within our heart constantly, most probably, the fear is there. The fear factor is there. I may not get it. I may not attain it. So that's the real thing which you are contemplating, that I may not get it. And that happens. What you contemplate, that happens. If you have the tremendous conviction that this is the thing I want with now, the entire means my desire has to be fulfilled. I don't keep any option of ifs and buts then you will find that the nature is conspiring to make all the circumstances favorable to fulfill our desires. And that's the thing which is being indicated in Sri Ramakrishna's word. That if you really, if you are really intently with sincerely love of 
we love God, we will find that even the circumstances which are not favorable, gradually is turning to be favorable. And that will help us to lead a more engrossing spiritual life. So that's the thing which we were discussing in the last class. Let's proceed uh, to the next section. So these words, actually, just before saying these words, Sri Ramakrishna, in the, when Master asked that what should one do if one's wife says, you are neglecting me, I shall commit suicide. The Master was very serious. In stern words, what he told, give up such a wife. If she proves an obstacle in the way of spiritual life, let her commit suicide or anything else she likes. The wife that hampers her husband's spiritual life is an ungodly wife. So after such uncompromising reply, when Sri Ramakrishna mentioned that uh, in his words, that if a man, if he is a sincere, he has a sincere love for God, then know it for certain, all will come under his control. The king, the wicked persons, his wife, sincere love of God on the husband's part may eventually help the wife to lead a spiritual life. If a husband is good, then through the grace of God, the wife may also follow his example. So after hearing these words, the master was bit, had a, the master had a soothing effect. This had a soothing effect on M's worried mind. All the while he had been thinking, let her commit suicide. What can I do? M, this world is a terrible place indeed. Master to the devotee. That's the reason. Chaitanya said to his companion Nityananda, listen brother, there is no hope of salvation for the worldly minded. So why there is no hope of salvation in spite of all the so-called spiritual practices? When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with his devotees used to have this kirtana, congregational singing, even these householder devotees used to get exuberant this emotional absurd devotional upsurge. Seeing that, many thought that they are progressing in spiritual life. When it was indicated to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he what he told was something interesting. That if a pot has some hole, however you may go on pouring water, it all leaks out, it won't stay. Know it for certain such exuberance of devotion, which you see temporarily when that there is a congregational singing, it do indicate that they are, they have developed some taste for the divine, but at the same time, they are yet to get detached, have developed the detachment from samsara, from their house, from their worldly life. Unless the detachment is there, that all those exuberances they have, it's less like a foam, it just simply vanishes. It leaks out. It in no way stays. As in our scripture, they say that if you go on anchoring your, if you go on rowing your boat with the anchors, if without raising the anchors, will you proceed anywhere? So worldly attachment speaks of that. If you are extremely worldly attached, all the spiritual practices are of no avail. Spiritual practices of the worldly-minded persons are like rowing a boat without raising the anchor. So that's why Sri, that's Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that Chaitanya's 
this in, in the words of Chaitanya. That is the reason Chaitanya said to his companion Nityananda, listen brother, there is no hope of salvation for the worldly minded. On another occasion, the master had said to him privately, yes, there is no hope for a worldly man if he is not sincerely devoted to God, but he has nothing to fear if he remains in the world after realizing God. Nor, nor need a man have any fear, whatever, of the world if he attains sincere devotion by practicing spiritual discipline now and then in solitude. Chaitanya had several householders among his devotees, but they were householders in name only, for they lived unattached to the world. So this is the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that after saying about the, the general, that all those who used to have this exuberance in the congregation, it's not that all of them about whom Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was saying that for them there is no way out. There are a few, though they are in the household, they have developed a sincere love for God. And sincere love for God automatically entails detachment from the worldly pleasures. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the more you proceed towards East, the West automatically falls behind. If we are growing in devotion, then our inordinate attachment for the worldly way of living has to fall off. It, it is something spontaneous. So such person, what's his state of mind? Sri Ramakrishna in some other context have indicated that such householders who are in the household as if apparently leading a householder's life, but inwardly is having that devotion for the Lord and has developed the detachment. Outwardly, they will look like householder, but their mind has already been attached to God and detached from the worldly way of living. Just with the idea of seek not, avoid not, he is performing his household duties surrendering totally to the divine. As Sri Ramakrishna says, his or her mental attitude is just like a maidservant who, while serving the master, goes on saying that this is my house, the master's pointing to the master's house. This is my children pointing to the master's children. As if she has become a part of that household. But in the bottom of her heart, she knows that this is not her house. These are not her children. Her house, her children is far off in some remote village. It is just for the sake of conversation. Just, just She just says it for, it's something superficially. It's not something which she really uh, feels or believes. It's just apparent. As sometimes we say that the way to stay in life is that pretend to be a householder. Shadhu shangshari shajbe, shangshari hobena. Shadhu hobe, shadhu shajbena. Means be a holy person, don't pretend to be a holy person. And pretend to be a householder, don't be a householder. For most of us, we just do the opposite. We pretend to be a holy person, though we are not a holy person. And we are extremely attached to the household. We cannot pretend to be a householder. We become householders. 
So just the opposite is required. So in even the family, we find such person who pretend to be householder, just taking the care of their responsibilities. But at the same time, his heart is totally immersed in the divine. Sri Ramakrishna asked him in some other context, can you show me a picture of a bird hatching its egg? When the bird is on the egg, is hatching its egg, its eyes are open, but that eyes do not have any focus. It is just observing without any focus on anything. In Bengali called Drishti Phalphale. It's very difficult to translate. It means the eyes are looking, but there is a type of indifference. It's not actually looking intently on anything because its total attention is on the egg which is hatching. So that way in our family life, that there should be a sense, though we are as if involved with the family life, involved with all the activities, there should be a sense of detachment there. And all the attention should be in the egg. Egg means here, the divine who is enshrined in our heart, that there the entire attention should be there. We should be serving the one who is seated in our heart. That means by staying in family, the way to practice spirituality in the words of Ramakrishna throughout the gospel, in innumerable uh, analogies he have used to explain this fact that it should be like just one who is having a toothache. The one who has toothache, he may be doing all the household activities, but the mind is constantly focused on the toothache. He cannot take away his mind from that. Sri Ramakrishna is to say, let God be your toothache. Keeping that mind in God to your duties. The one who is a devotee can keep three-fourths of his mind in God. And just with one-fourth of his mind can take care of all his responsibilities. And know it for certain, the way he takes care of his responsibilities, one-fourth mind is much, much better though those who are than those who are inordinately attached to the worldly way of living. Because we think that the one who is attached to the worldly way of living, his mind is focused to the things he is doing. But actually it is not the fact. Not even 25% mind is actually fixed in the things he is doing because of his or her inordinate attachment. Most of the mind is engaged either in anticipation or fear or expectations. But a devotee's mind has no anticipation, no fear, no expectation. He has resigned to the will of the divine. Three-fourth, though the three-fourth of mind is with the God, that one-fourth mind is sufficient enough to take care of all the duties. And those who are inordinately attached to the worldly way of living, they cannot even keep 25% of their mind free for the activities because it has been taken away by all sorts of turmoils in the form of anticipation, fear, expectations. So that's what uh, is being indicated by the words of Ramakrishna. And he's speaking of solitude. That know it for certain that even the one who has realized God for him, 
there is no question of attachment when he comes down from his realization and deals with the world though he is dealing with the world in no way attachment can develop because the realization has given him him the conviction that what i am seeing is a mere flow is a mere projection it's not the reality just that swami vivekananda that's example again and again we give when he was passing through the desert he was thirsty he was in search of water he saw the he saw the mirage thinking it to be a huge reservoir he started proceeding towards it and suddenly it vanished then it dawned in his mind that it's a mirage and what's the difference next day again when he's passing through the desert as he is in his body mind senses again he sees that huge reservoir but today there is a great difference nothing can draw him drag him towards that he knows it's a mere projection so that's the thing which is being indicated here that one who remains in the world after realizing god there is for such a person there is no fear there is no need for such a man to have any fear whatever of the world if he has realized god and even if he has not realized god if he has sincere devotion by practicing spiritual discipline now and then in solitude then also he need not fear because as sri ramakrishna's guru totapuri used to say that the mind is like a brass vessel or like a copper vessel it had to be polished now and then to maintain its shine it has to be polished again and again so solitude acts like that that when we are in the samsara the mind do gather some stain so now and then we have to go to the solitude it's like retreat in the war the word retreat actually came from the war in the war when the army finds it is difficult to cope up with the uh, confronting army so sometimes they start retreating the retreat actually is not a defeat they retreat with a plan that let's go back our cont- contending army will think as if uh, we are escaping that we are the losers but know it for certain we will come back with regained force with the regained energy regained force so the retreat is meant for refresh that getting refreshed so gaining in strength so that's why the solitude now and then is required to go and dive deep in contemplation where the sanskaras of the spiritual practice becomes prominent in the mind with such mind we come back and what we gain in our contemplation that we spend out in our service so this are the two things which sri ramakrishna is saying that if you have realized god there is no fear and even if you have not realized god now and then make it a point to go in solitude it's not possible for you to go in solitude forever but now and then if it is possible for one day two days three days just go in solitude spend the time exclusively in contemplation and then with renewed energy renewed uh vigor come back and again lead your worldly life trying to keep in your mind what you have 
what you are contemplating on in your solitude. That should create a deep samskara. That should try to prevail over all the worldly samskaras. And that way, even in family, we can, though we have not realized God, we can lead a detached life. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That's, and as an example, he's saying, Chaitanya had several householders among his devotees, but they were householders in name only, for they lived unattached to the world. It was noon, the worship was over, and food offerings had been made in the temple. The doors of the temple were shut. Sri Ramakrishna sat down for his meal, and Narendra and other devotees partook of the food offerings from the temple. Sunday, October 22, 1882. It was the day of Vijaya, the last day of the celebration of the worship of Durga, when the clay image is immersed in the water of a lake or river. About nine o'clock in the morning, Aim was seated on the floor of the master's room at Dakshineshwar near Sri Ramakrishna, who was reclining on the small couch. Rakhal was then living with the master, and Narendra and Bhavanath visited him frequently. Baburam had seen him only once or twice. Master, did you have any holiday during the Durga Puja? M. Yes, sir. I went to Keshav's house every day for the first three days of the worship. Master, is that so? M, I heard, I heard there a very interesting interpretation of the Durga Puja. Master, please tell me about it. M, Keshav Sen held daily morning prayers in his house, lasting till 10 or 11. During these prayers, he gave the inner meaning of the Durga Puja. He said, that if anyone could realize the Divine Mother, that is to say, could install Mother Durga in the shrine of his heart, then Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kartika, and Ganesha would come there of themselves. Lakshmi means wealth, Saraswati knowledge, Kartika strength, and Ganesha success. By realizing the Divine Mother within one's heart, one gets all this without any effort whatever. So well, Sri Ramakrishna won't subscribe to this idea. As we find Swami Vivekananda in his lecture, much later, saying in a very simple way that where God is the means, world is the end. It may appear to be religion, but know it to be certain that it is, it is nothing but sheer materialism. God is the means. I don't want God. I want this world. I'm happy with the wealth, with all this academic learning, with all the strength and success. These are the things I want. God is just the means. And that's what Kesha was saying, that if you have Durga in your heart, they all come automatically as if those are the things for which one is to worship Durga. So that's why we will find that Sri Ramakrishna listened to the description, questioning him now and then, about the prayers conducted by Keshav, at last he said to him, don't go hither and thither. Come here alone. Those who belong to the inner circle of my devotees will come only here. So very, very 
specifically pinpointedly he is saying this it is not that he wants to just uh, get hold of his devotees he wants to save them from all such ideas which goes we all the ideas of materialism which goes in the name of spirituality he wants his devotees to be sincere in their devotion there shouldn't be any some dross in their which gets mixed with their spiritual ideas it should be cleansed from all the dross so that's why he is very very uh, specific as per his instruction that those who belong to the inner circle of my devotees will come only here boys like narendra bhavanath and rakhal are very intimate disciples they are not to be thought lightly of feed feed them one day what do you think of narendra so feeding a holy mat is considered a meritorious act so he saying feed them so this may say that these are all the injunctions which has been made for some mercenary gains that the holy man should be fed otherwise from where he is going to get food so these are the instructions which has been uh, given in the scriptures for two that's the nurture the so called the ones who are so called holy men and who are not doing any household duties uh, just taking the name of the god and so for them the spiritual injunctions are there that feed them but why to feed a holy man why to uh, help him in with, uh, what with all uh, with all sorts of day to day needs just think uh, that in the present even in the present day for the research scholars in the university every year so much of money is allocated that why that those that most of the research are of no use it goes trash that but why the government has made it a rule that all the universities should have a considerable amount of the fund only for this research work where the students are doing research for that they are getting this lot of funds stipends and other things so much money why that every every uh, organization should have r and d and research and development these are all government policies why though most of the research is of no use because the government knows the society knows that though most of the research is of no use it won't actually help the society but if we make a policy that a considerable amount of our resource should go for this thing then suddenly one or two such research will be just simply revolutionary it will change the total the social structure economic structure that's what has happened you just see the history uh, or the human history for the last 200 300 years that suddenly that though most of the research is trash but from all those trash suddenly some discovery some inventions changes the total social structure so we can afford that west only because of this revolutionary one or two inventions or discoveries similarly in spiritual life 
so much money is sometimes you may feel is waste because the so-called person who is a holy man here of course narendra bhavana they are all sincere seekers rakhal they are all very sincere seekers but even if there is an that they are not sincere seekers that the general tradition the indian tradition is that give something to the holy man many will ask the question that are they sincere why should i give them i don't know but that's the culture which enables now and then ramakrishna to evolve that such system if that such system was not there the one who is intently uh, that devoted to the divine for whom all the responsibilities have fallen off if the society is not taking care of him the spiritual revelations that comes from him which is the life saving philosophy for the entire humanity for hundreds of years for thousands of years we won't have that so this feeding the holy man is that's why considered such a meritorious act because that's the thing which sustains the society so that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating here that they are not to be thought lightly of feed them one day what do you think of narendra uh m i think very highly of him sir master haven't you observed his many virtues he is not only well versed in music vocal and instrumental but he is also very learned besides he has controlled his passions and declares he will lead a celibate life he has been devoted to god since his very boyhood how are you getting along with your meditation nowadays what aspect of god appeals to your mind with form or without form m sir now i cannot fix my mind on god with form on the other hand i cannot concentrate steadily on god without form master now you see that the mind cannot be fixed all of a sudden on the formless aspect of god it is wise to think of god with form during the primary stages so this is something very very significant that to think of god with form in the ved this vedantic tradition though we think of the absolute as formless he is saying that in the primary stages to think of god with form is highly effective why it is so effective what why that meditating on god with form can enable our spiritual evolution very quickly to understand that we will resort to some discussion of swami vivekananda in one of his lectures very nicely he mentioned that just if you analyze your thoughts each and every thought you will find each and every thought in our mind we are thinking so many things but each and every thought if you analyze you will find it has two components name and form anything the moment just suppose i'm sitting here there is no flower near me i say a rose that name rose immediately enables me to visualize the form the smell everything i visualize in my mind though it is not there so the name is related with a form it always gets associated 
whenever we are thinking each and every thought has these two components name and form within my mind i'm speaking when i'm speaking constantly i'm visualizing the moment the mother thinks of the child the moment uh, she thinks of the child the name of the child comes to her mind and immediately along with that the form comes she visualizes so all the thoughts have these two components name and form now when i am trying to fix my mind on one thought say the ishta vritti or my chosen ideal i say it is formless yes it's it may be that as per your ultimate principle is concerned it is formless but if i try to think it as a form how it helps as each and every thought component has two things name and form the moment you are trying to concentrate on an ideal for which you have uh, uh, you represent it with a form then what happens this this thought this thought with which you are trying to concentrate your mind this thought which is going to contend all other distractive thoughts all other distractions this thought is powerful it becomes powerful enough with the name and the form both the components it has if at the very beginning stage if we just think of the abstract ideal with as formless and try to just go on contemplating on god as formless though we are repeating the name god of course whatever may be the religious tradition god is represented by certain form of name so you repeat you most probably are repeating the name to keep your mind fixed on god but the imagination factor the visual factor of each and every thought that is free it goes on visualizing all other forms all the forms so the repeating of the name becomes mechanical you are repeating something but the mind is going as a visual visual factor the audible factor has been taken care of by repeating the name but the visual fa- factor the form that you have no component to take care because the god your god is formless and then it roams about all around so the repetition becomes something mechanical it in no way can become very effective if i think of god with a form then my thought component has both the name and form to contend with all other distractions it becomes very easy the moment i am visualizing the form of the divine then the mind cannot deviate to some other form because you are imagining a certain form that this con- this thought with the two components of name and form is quite strong enough to contend with such other distractive thoughts which do have the two components so that way in the primary stage it is very very helpful to think of god with form ultimately we should always forget that the means is not the goal ultimately when we go to the realize merge in that absolute realization the forms will all fall off we can even uh, realize that the, god in his absolute sense but this is a practice the all the confusion arises when we take the way to be the goal as buddha used to say that i am 
pointing to the moon and people take the index finger to be the moon. That all the things which are speaking of is the way, is the index finger, it is pointing at something. But they take the index finger to be the moon. They don't see the moon. So though the formless aspect may be the thing which we are aspiring for finally, but with the form, when we start our journey, it makes the path much more effective. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Now you see that the mind cannot be fixed all of a sudden on the formless aspect of God. It is wise to think of God with form during the primary stages. M, do you mean to suggest that one should meditate on clay images? Master, why clay? These images are the embodiments of consciousness. So the images are the embodiments of consciousness. That when, <clears throat> even in, in the, as per the principle of Vedanta is concerned, that the entire universe is a projection of the divine. If that be so, when I say that God is not in the clay image, I am restricting, I am limiting God by saying that I say he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, but he's not in this clay image. My words are contradictory. If he's everywhere, if he has projected as the universe, what I see is apparent. Essentially, it is the divine and divine alone. <coughs> because the ultimate reality is getting conditioned by the mind and the senses. It is appearing as this universe. So in reality, the clay image is not clay. It is the Lord. So in Bhakti Shastras, they say that the, we cannot limit the divine, how he will find expression. Innumerable are the ways he, he is finding expression. But in some of the forms in some of the aspects, his manifestation is more vivid. As has been spoken of in Bhagavad Gita, in, Bhagavad Gita, in the 10th chapter, the Vibhuti Yoga. But the Lord's Vibhuti, his, so that though he is as substance, essentially he is present everywhere, but he manifests more in some of the objects. So similarly, the clay image, which is meant for the worship, especially in Ramanujacharya used to uh, speak of those images as Archavataram, that the Lord manifests him specially in all those forms in which the devotees perform the worship. So don't think them to be this clay image. That whenever Sri Ramakrishna, when someone is to say that this, this form of the divine is Mrinmoy, means made of clay, he will say, no, it is Chinmaya. It is not Mrinmaya. After uh, even uh, from our, what you say, the way we perceive the objects, nothing is inert. Everything that what we are seeing is the projection of the consciousness and consciousness alone. Consciousness is taking certain form. All our perceptions are embodiments of consciousness. For what we perceive is not outside. That which is outside is merely a suggestion which activates the mind and enables consciousness to be projected in a particular way. As we give that example again and again, when I see the red flower, it is not the redness is outside. 
something is outside as a suggestion which activates my mind in a particular way. That light comes and strikes my retina, the light's function is over, it gets converted into some nervous impulse which reaches my brain, the organ of the mind, and when it reaches the so-called color center, the color is projected from there to, to envelop the flower, to give it the sense of redness. So it is a consciousness. Again, the mind by itself cannot project. Only the mind when it is getting activated by the consciousness. The mind is in association with the consciousness. Then only when I'm sleeping, it doesn't happen. When the mind is in association with the consciousness, then it's being projected. As if the consciousness is being projected ultimately as that redness. So when the consciousness is getting limited by certain adjuncts, that's what we see as this world. It is the consciousness getting limited in certain way or other to find expression as this world of name and form. So when I was worshipping the clay image, it is something within which is being expired. So that's why Swamiji used to say that in Vedanta we don't spilling of we don't uh, speak of inspiration. We all speak of expiration, not inspiration. Inspiration means something is coming within from outside. Inspiration, that in means coming within. So he played a pun with the word by saying it is not inspiration, it is expiration. It is all within, which is finding expression outside as all these objects of name and form. If that be so, it is the same consciousness which is finding expression as the object which I am worshipping. So why see it as a clay image, which is a hallucination? The real thing is its consciousness. When Swamiji in the Swami in the West was giving lecture that everything is consciousness and consciousness alone. No, everything is the self. And that way transcend the suffering of the world because all the things which appears in the form of pleasure and pain, pleasure and pain, all the dualities, these are mere appearances. But actually, you are the self and self alone. Someone from the audience stood up and immediately appreciated Swamiji by saying, that's a wonderful way to hypnotize ourselves and get rid of suffering. Just always think you are the self, that way you are hypnotizing yourself and you can get rid of the suffering. And he appreciate, she appreciated. That is good. Even by conditioning our mind with, certain, with some hallucinatory uh, uh, effect, by creating some hallucination, if I can get rid of suffering, it's good. But Swami Vivekananda immediately retorted back, Madam, what I'm saying is not hallucination. It's a fact. You're already, you're already in hallucination. What I am doing is I am removing your hallucination. You're already, that this, to see the world of name and form itself speaks of the hallucination. I am de-hallucinating you. I'm, it's not that by thinking that you are consciousness and consciousness alone is hallucination. Or this image is a consciousness is a hallucination. Actually, seeing it as the image is a hallucination. Is a, it is a product of delusion. The, when you try to see it as an embodiment of the divine, you are de-hypnotizing de your mind. You are already hypnotized. You are de-hypnotizing. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying that why clay image? These images are the embodiments of 
consciousness. Him. Even so, one must think of hands, feet and other parts of the body. But again, I realize that the mind cannot be concentrated unless one meditates in the beginning on God with form. You have told me so. Well, God can easily assume different forms. May one meditate on the form of one's own mother? Master, yes. Mother should be adored. She is indeed an embodiment of Brahman. So not mother as the biological mother. That's, that's the interesting thing. When I see the clay image as clay, that's not a worship. It is not the clay. It is the Lord. that clay is the embodiment of the divine. So here also the words are very important. Yes, mother can also be adored. But not just as a biological mother because she is the embodiment of Brahman. That like any other object in the world which is the embodiment of Brahman, your mother is also an embodiment of Brahman. As you already have a love, a sense of affinity with the mother, so when you contemplate on mother, thinking him as the embodiment of Brahman, the meditation can become very, very effective, spontaneous, because already that love is there for that. So you are just now transforming it as a spiritual practice by thinking that it is an embodiment of the Brahman. We find Sri Ramakrishna again and again giving the same instruction. When a widow came to Sri Ramakrishna saying that, see, I have no one to call my own, but one of my nephew is a small boy. I have to take care of him and I have developed an inordinate attachment for him. I find that my mind is getting distracted even during my worship. It constantly thinks of a, a small child. And Sri Ramakrishna's instruction was wonderful. He, told, he never told that try to forget him. He told, what you are doing is okay. Just think that you are not serving your nephew. It is, your, it is a child, child, Krishna, the Gopala, whom you are serving. So this is just the sublimation which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. Here also it is a sublimation not subjugation, that my love for the mother is an attachment. So I should try to subjugate this type of life. I will try to repress this type of love. No, sublimate it. Sublimate it by thinking your mother as the embodiment of the Brahman. M sat in silence. After a few minutes, he asked the master, what does one feel while thinking of God without form? Isn't it possible to describe it? After some reflection, the master said, do you know what it is like? He remained silent a moment and then said a few words to M about one's experiences at the time of the vision of God with and without form. So this is the thing which M is not narrating. It's something, he kept it confidential. But something Sri Ramakrishna told M about the experience of the vision of the God with and without form. Just Aim is mentioning here that and after that he is keeping silent. Most probably as it seems here as he has not, he has, when he is narrating everything why he have not narrated, most probably Sri Ramakrishna never wanted to relate these words of the experiences, the vision of the God with or without form because these descriptions doesn't make any sense to the one who are just aspiring to reach the spiritual goal. 
just as we go on saying again and again that the one who have not tasted the mango however you may go on describing the taste of mango it doesn't make any sense that's why buddha was silent about the ultimate may that the general notion is buddha was an atheist he was not an atheist he was just silent about the absolute when someone asked him whether god is he never answered thinking that most probably doesn't uh believe in god the next question but also god is not that also didn't answer he kept silent because he knew that it is something which is not the common fund of experience of all if you speak of something of which the experience is not common to both the narrator as well as the one who is listening you can never relate we can relate with our words only when our perceptions our perceptions are alike what i see you have also seen then only i can relate through words what i have realized what i have realized you also have realized then only i can express through words otherwise if i what i have realized if all other have not realized however i may try to use my language i can never express it so that's why most probably we find that aim has is not speaking about that that ramakrishna remained silent a moment and then said a few words to m about one's experiences at the time of vision of god with and without form and there it ends master you see one must practice spiritual discipline to understand this correctly suppose there are treasures in a room if you want to see them and lay hold of them you must take the trouble to get the key and unlock the door after that you must take the treasures out but suppose the room is locked and standing outside the door you say to yourself here i have opened the door now i have broken the lock of the chest now i have taken out the treasure such brooding near the door will not enable you to achieve anything so you have to go and really open the door just thinking that i have unlocked the door i have entered i have just broken the lock of the chest i have taken out the treasure just thinking you don't get the treasure so you may say what what sri ramakrishna is just mentioning here is actually indicating that you must practice discipline this sri ramakrishna's words are sometimes so simple that we sometimes miss that actually he is speaking of some profound truths which has been spoken of in the scriptures in yoga shastra in yoga sutra patanjali yoga sutra there is a the sutra the ninth sutra of the first chapter what it is shabda gyana anupati vastu shunya vikalpa vikalpa means verbal delusion or you can say imagination what is imagination shabda gyana anupati vastu shunya so, so these are the, these technical things sri ramakrishna is saying in a very simple word what it's speaking actually that our mind is constantly breaking into thought waves even in deep sleep it doesn't stop so it doesn't stop the waves are there the vrittis are there there are two things one is vritti and another is the content of the waves so what i am thinking is the content of the wave there is a pratyaya now based on the pratyaya there can be five types of vritti in the yoga sutra they told that what when the prat- the content of the wave is matching with what i am seeing that is pramana 
So that pramana means that is something which is consensual reality. We all say that when I say red, I say something is red. You also say something is red. We all consent that it is real. So this speaks of consensual reality, consensus reality. So that is pramana. And the next is viparyaya, where the the pratyaya, the content of the wave doesn't match with what you are seeing. It happens. Like when I am seeing a snake in a rope. Actually it is a rope, but the content of the vritti, the pratyaya, pratyaya is the content of the vritti, the knowledge which I am getting there is of a snake. So it is not matching. That is viparyaya. And then comes this vikalpa. Just why we are saying that, you will find that how interesting, the simple words of Ramakrishna actually is speaking of some profound truth which has been spoken of in the scriptures. What is this vikalpa? Shabda jnana anupati vastu shunya. Now, there can be another type of vritti as per the pratyaya's concept. What is that? Suppose I am thinking of a palace in the sky. Is it ever possible? It's never possible. There cannot be a palace in the sky. But in my mind I can think. So Shabda Jnana Anupati. When I say this palace in the sky or if lotus in the sky, Akasha Kushuma, the lotus in the sky, then what is happening? The Shabda, when I'm saying Shasha Sringa, a hare, a rabbit with horns. Rabbit ever have horns? So when I say that the word doesn't have any corresponding reality at all. So that is vikalpa. It is mere imagination. It has no such factual reality with it. So why, uh, in what way we can relate to the words of Ramakrishna here? So when we speak of spiritual, so-called spiritual knowledge, for us it is sabda jnana anupati vastu shunya. It is all vikalpa. It is all mere imagination. Because as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that small child by hearing, just by hearing uh, when, they are, when the elders were quarreling among themselves, they used the word God's promise. They have heard from their elders the word God's promise and now when the children quarrel among themselves, they also say God's promise. I haven't said such and such thing. The parents don't know, the children don't know what is God and on, in his name they are swearing. So that's all is Vikalpa, you are speaking some word which has no content. So such speech in no way is going to help us. Why we are saying this? In Yoga Sutra they say all the vrittis can be klishta as well as aklishta. They can lead to suffering as well they can lead to placidity and liberation, tranquility. Even Vikalpa imagination can lead to placidity and imagination, uh, liberation. Let us try to understand that. Then we will relate to these words of Ramakrishna. That vikalpa. In general, we find that all such imagination which has no tangible reality, as, a, as corresponding tangible reality, they are all useless. But let us take this example of a person who have tasted the mango. This again, we let us take this example and try to understand how vikalpa can be helpful. The one who have tasted the mango, he comes and describes the taste of mango to a group of people who have not tasted the mango. Now among those people who have not tasted the mango, a few may be not interested at all. They are here, but they are indifferent. 
okay forget it for that what this mango we don't want to test all those nonsense he's speaking of uh, they even doubt whether something such as mango is there or not they just hear and brush it off that's one category another they hearing that that is there's the, uh, that's the mango is sweet and it has a nice flavor they believe that there must be a fruit but they never ever grow the motivation to really taste the mango they just go on discussing about the taste of mango there's a second category one is indifferent another go on discussing the third after hearing now they are in search of a mango so that they can taste it now that in for the three all these three groups of people what is there as long as they have not tasted the mango it is just vikalpa the taste of mango which they are thinking of is just vikalpa is just imagination it has no corresponding reality for them for those who have not tasted the mango it is mere imagination as long as you have not tasted it is mere imagination for the first two categories it remains as imagination it is in no way going to help them but the third category that who gets motivated to taste the mango their imagination is going to get converted into realization their imagination is going to get converted into realization so vikalpa can also be aklishta as per our attitude as per our perspective so in spiritual life also that happens after reading the scriptures many are indifferent to it some are quite happy just to discuss about it and a few just make it a point what's been spoken of in the scriptures we have to realize it that speaks of practicing the discipline and this imagination is getting converted into realization today's imagination gets converted into tomorrow's realization through the practice otherwise that imagination is in no way going to help us it remains the vikalpa which is in no way going to help us now you can relate to the words of ramakrishna that for most of us spirituality just remains in the level of discussion it we never take it it may it remains in the level of discussion and in the realm of belief we never make it a point to realize it in our life as long as we don't do that it is as good as just a person who knows there is a treasure in the room instead of trying to unlock and go and get the treasure he is just sitting and thinking i have unlocked the door i have broken the lock i have entered i have opened the treasure i have got the treasure he is just imagining did he really get it no so his vikalpa is never going to get converted into realization so it remains always shabda gyana anupati vastu shunya he is speaking some word but accord that he is creating some knowledge in his mind but there is no corresponding reality to it so it remains as just as an imagination so to make today's imagination into realization that spiritual practice the disciplines which has been prescribed that has to be resorted to just going on discussing on it on visualizing it mentally won't help that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so again we read this uh, words of ramakrishna before we conclude today's discussion you see one must practice spiritual discipline to understand this correctly suppose there are treasures in a room if you want to see them and lay hold of them you must take the trouble to get the key and unlock the door after that you must take the treasures out but suppose the room is locked and standing outside the door you say to yourself here i have opened the door now i have broken the lock of the chest now i have taken out the treasure 
such brooding near the door will not enable you to achieve anything. You must practice discipline. With this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue with uh, Sri Ramakrishna's conversation with him again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskar.